With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This is your moment, your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Raptors. We launching a podcast. This is good news. I would like to be a part of that. I could make it up and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. That's right on. Just keep going. I bleed green. Should probably have somebody look at that. <laughs> All right. Our latest episode, we've got Austin Ainge, assistant general manager of the Boston Celtics. And Austin, we appreciate you coming on, first and foremost. But secondly, I want to find out how the heck you wound up in this role with the Boston Celtics, because... Your career, it looks to me like it could have gone a million different directions. You were an assistant coach in college. Then you were a head coach in, at that time, the D-League. Then you become a scout and whatnot. So how did you get to where you are today being the assistant general manager of this team? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I played growing up and, and uh, loved the game and considered a few things in college. And then I started exploring some coaching stuff. And actually, my senior year of college, we were on our way to play in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Never forget, I was on the bus and a good friend of mine got the head coaching job at a small college in in Utah. And he called and said, I want you to come be my assistant. And I said, well, <laughs> let's let me go try to win a game first here <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. And then and then we'll talk. And uh, and I ended up uh, we ended up losing, unfortunately, in that first round game against Xavier. And uh, about a week later, I called him and said, yeah, man, I'm in. I've, I want to get into coaching. And, and I thought I'd have to do video coordinator and manager. Go through the, the gamut of going up the up the, the yeah. totem pole. Yeah. And, and, and to skip a few steps and be an assistant coach um, was great. So I jumped at it. And um, funny story, back then there was uh, an April recruiting period in for AAU, and I was in Las Vegas watching AAU games, and I hadn't taken my finals yet. Um, <laughs> wow. So I was, I was trying to get a head start. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was fun to jump right in, and and uh, and then yeah, I, I did some scouting. I did the in, up in Maine, and I was going down the the coaching path. I, I really wanted to coach. Was that your what you wanted to do coming out of school? Yeah, that was the first, that was the first plan. Yeah. Do, uh, do some coaching. Um, it just seemed the easiest way to stay involved in the game. Um, and then the Celtics had some front office people leave and, uh, DA asked me to do some scouting for him for a little while and just kind of stuck. So you call him DA, not DAD. That's right. Yeah. yeah I was going to ask that. How long did you call him DA? Is that how it has to be? I mean, I'm actually interested to hear this because obviously your father is Danny Ainge. He's the president of basketball operations for the team. Um, you work for him. Do you have to call him DA to kind of keep that that parent-son relationship out of the work environment? Like how, how, what are the dynamics there? You know, I don't really know how it started. It wasn't a conscious thing. Like KG and Tony Allen always called him DA. And everyone around the office called him DA. I started calling him DA. I think my mom calls him DA about <laughs> half the time. You know, it's just uh, it's way easier, just DA. So you started scouting. I mean, obviously part of coaching in college is recruiting. But when did you realize that you had a knack for discovering talent and, and being able to see something that maybe others don't? When I was coaching in Maine, 
Um, I, I was young still, 27, I think, when I first got that job. Um, just being around those players. And, you know, in the G League, uh, you have players coming in and out constantly, right? You have just a, a, a rotating door. And, and, uh, and so you really get kind of an idea of how players fit and what things work and what don't, you know, in that environment. And it, it's almost like uh, speed dating, right? You get, you, you coach like, <laughs> 50 teams in two years because it just changes so often. Um, at the same time, during the summer, uh, when I was coaching in Maine, I would come back to Boston in the summer and I would help with summer league draft workouts and just around all of those players constantly. Um, you know, that those kind of gave me a lot of reps at, at the team building side. Let's talk about how your path to where you are. I guess w- having your dad uh, be an NBA basketball player. And uh, from the moment you were born, you were basically in the NBA. How did that affect the way that you got to where you are today? Like, like, is that what led you to BYU? Is that what led you to the Celtics? Is that what led you to want to be a coach? Because your dad was a coach at a time. How did he affect your path? Yeah, it's hard to know, Mark, how much all that affects you as a kid. I just, I knew I loved to play. And I played all the sports growing up. Um, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I, I was always a good player kind of through elementary school and then middle school hit and everyone grew and I didn't. And, uh, and football, I got, I got beat up and quit football and, and baseball. Those, uh, you know, when the diamond extends, it felt really long to me before I kind of hit my growth spurt, but I, I could still shoot. So I stuck with basketball a little more and then, um, and then finally hit my growth spurt and ended up being a pretty good player in high school. Um, and, and that, you know, that really helped. I just love sports and competition. But yeah, I was a ball boy all growing up. I grew up in the locker room. I've got stories of, you know, Charles Barkley throwing me in hot tubs. Let's hear and... the stories. Give us all the <laughs> stories right now. What's your best story? Oh, man. I mean, I, I remember Charles Barkley handing me slips of paper to run up to his uh, his buddy to to make NFL bets before the games, you wow. know, uh, I didn't Giants know plus three. Is that, that legal up, to use know? use a young child to run your bets? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure not. But this is Charles, right? He's, he's above the rules. Um, I, 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 you know, when I was in high school, um, I, I couldn't be a ball boy any longer because I was just playing so often. But my, my dad was coaching the sons. And I would play one-on-one with guys like Steve Nash when he was a rookie after practice. And, and uh, you know, I was around all the time. And uh, the dinner table and, you know, a lot of, a lot of discussions and, um, you know, finals parades and heartbreak losses. You just grow up around it and, and uh, you see these guys all the time. How much did you beat Steve Nash by? <laughs> Steve was really good. He was really good. I, I got uh, I got a couple guys every now and again, you know, but no, those those guys are in the NBA for a reason. I, I do want to outline before Abby asks her question. You did shoot 47 percent plus from three point range your senior year. So th- this is no joke. Like you were a legit shooter, one of the top shooters in, in the entire country. Yeah, I could shoot. It was the defense side, Mark, that uh, that limited my career. A little That's bit. OK. We can take the three. It doesn't always have to be three and D. That is part of my question, though. I mean, growing up, the stories about your father, Danny, and just how good he is at sports, getting drafted in the NBA and baseball, and then football as well. He was a star back in Oregon. What was it like in your household? And um, how did Danny kind of instill, is that competitive nature? That's just innate, I assume, in all of you, in all of his kids. What was it like growing up in that house? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's six of us. I'm second of six. And um, and everyone came out a little different. Not everyone's, you know, the same level. But, you know, we, we joke at my house. I Everyone asked me my whole life because my dad was known as kind of a fighter and a whiner and a competitor, right? Just, hey. Uh, instigator. Instigator, all those things. And, you know, hey, what's it like growing up with that? He must be crazy at home. And he was the chill one. My mom was the intense one. My mom is the scrapper. Yeah, I think she still gets in fights with ladies at tennis league. You know now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a competitive household. But yeah, my my dad had no idea how to parent. He his parenting was go outside with a stopwatch and all right, kids. You know, five dollars to who can run the mile the fastest, and he'd just sit in the chair and you know that was how he did it. And uh, so we we grew up doing that stuff. We're going to take a quick commercial break and come back right after this to talk to Austin about what he does on a daily basis for the Celtics and maybe a little bit about player evaluation. 
with the team as they go into draft and trade deadline. We'll be back in a moment. I know I've been waiting forever to get back into TD Garden for a live Celtics game, and I know you've been feeling the same way. So why not make up for some lost time? Get in on all of the action for next season by signing up for the Celtics season ticket member waitlist presented by American Express. Listen, when you sign up, you'll get priority access to purchase season ticket memberships for the 2021-22 season once tickets become available. So after you're done listening here, head on over to Celtics.com waitlist to sign up today and you'll be back inside the garden in no time helping your boys grab a win. All right, we were just in a commercial break, and we had some breaking news come out of, of Austin Ainge here. Austin, I tried to lump you in with the, the BIA, which is the Basketball Intelligence Agency within the Celtics. And what, what did you say to us? Yeah, those are, that's the analytics nerds. That's not me. <laughs> I refuse to be associated with them. No, that's our little nickname for them because they didn't like uh, our more derogatory nicknames. The nerds nickname? The BIA much cooler yeah well for for the people who haven't been able to get into the celtics facility there's actually you know when you look at uh at the cia insignia there there is actually a sign that was created that is bia inside the celtics office it's actually pretty cool so basketball intelligence agency is is made up by what what austin just said i'm not saying this but what austin just said is they're the basketball nerds but we'll deviate from that we're not letting you off the hook, Mark. You said it. We got no, right I'm here. just repeating your words. I'm just repeating your words. All right, so then let's talk about what you do. Apparently, it's not the numbers. It's just the eye test. Not analytics. Uh, yeah, but take us through the day-to-day responsibilities of what you're doing, because I know that um, if anyone within the Celtics organization has a whole heck of a lot of miles on their, on their card um, from flying around the world, it's you. Yeah, no, uh, so we, I mean, we, we watch a lot of basketball. On film, that's really the first thing we do, especially right? in the last year, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Pandemic, With travel but... reduced, you you do that even more. But um, but we we're kind of a, a video first, and then go see in person because we don't have a huge staff. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm uh, I do probably you know in in a non-COVID year, probably seventy uh, percent of my time in U.S. doing college, MBA, G League. And then about 30% internationally, a lot, you know, mostly Western Europe. Occasionally there's some China or South America trips mixed in, but it's mostly uh, the European leagues. Um, and we have about seven full-time scouts watching people around the world. And my job is making sure we're seeing all the right people and gathering all the right information. Um, it's It's not only watching on the court, right? It's talking to their coaches, trainers, academic staff on what kind of kid they are. Um, you, you're not allowed to talk to the actual player until pretty late in the draft process. And so we collect as much information as we can uh, surrounding them leading up to that. What are the challenges of scouting players around the world? Uh, because <clears throat> I, I would assume that, you know, that that's kind of your area of expertise right like it mostly if you're going overseas to check people out you are going to be the one the first one who goes to take a look um but talk about the challenges of scouting players overseas because they're not playing in the same structure of the ncaa tournament or even playing in the g league it's different over there and every league probably has different rules depending on what country you're in yeah and a different level of competition yeah, the competition levels are, are are very different, right? And you need to understand the context um, that you're watching in. There's, you know, there's a uh, league in France that's the Pro A, that's their number one league, right? And then there's Pro B, and then there's something they call the Espoir League, which is for younger players, right? That's just France. And, but, you know, in France, the Pro A and Pro B isn't too different. It's a little, it's different, but it's not hugely different. And then you go to the next country, and their top league to second league is my, you know, in Israel, the first division to the second division is a gulf, is a Grand Canyon between them, right? And and so those are just things that you learn over time, and and you once you watch a lot, um, you know, there there are teams that play in Spain in one league, for instance, you'll see Real Madrid and Barcelona who have big, you know, soccer team budgets that they can do, they will sign 12 players that all make a million dollars. 
and they'll play them all 20 minutes and no one averages more than seven points. Right. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll have a, you'll have another team in that same Spanish league with the way smaller budget that will sign, you know, one big scorer and he'll get to play 30 minutes and he'll score 20 points a game, but he probably isn't better than the guy scoring seven on Real Madrid. Right. But you have so to sift just, through like the minutia kind of and figure out what means what. Exactly. And so there, there's a lot of that. Um, and then, of course, I've had lots of experience of flying, you know, across the world and then driving three hours in the middle of Serbia. And then the coach doesn't play the 18 year old. Well, then what do you do? Things. You just sit, sit in the in the cafe yeah. and have a drink? Workout yeah, you, you do what you can. I mean, you just you, you try to see him at practice the next day or. You know, I, I I used to call it ahead and talk to everyone before, and I've since kind of realized sometimes it's better just to surprise them. They sometimes they want to keep the kid. They don't want you to mm. draft them, and they won't play him if you show up. So sometimes I'll just buy a ticket outside for twenty euros and sneak in the side and not tell anyone. Right. So you just kind of got to learn secret learn agent. How that works. That's what we yeah. call that. That comes from experience. Do you, as a scout? in your process, have to lay eyes on a guy before you will put a report together or before you will vouch for him? I really, really would prefer it. Um, I, I really feel uncomfortable investing millions of dollars in kids without seeing them in person. Uh, there's just something that, you know, just makes you feel more confident <laughs> when you get to really, you know, see their, their game and their athleticism and size, you know, but, but video is really good now. Um, it's so much better than even when I started 13 years ago. Um, we, we have high definition video for every league in the world. I mean, they're streaming high school games now, right? It's not hard to to get lots of good video on guys. I, I mean, it used to be, you know, DVDs of terrible grainy footage from Croatian junior leagues, right? And and it was impossible. So I, I do feel better now, Abby, but um, but I still would much rather see them in person a, a few times for the, for the top kids. Um, if not, you know, five or 10. Can you kind of take us inside the process and you guys have a relatively small front office uh, with yourself, Mike Zarin, along with DA and, and what kind of information you're gathering pieces of data to create the whole picture, right? How do you, where do you place weights? How do you balance all of the different information? How much, how do you gather the off the court stuff as well? And, and, and what yeah. are those discussions like when it does come down to the time to make decisions? You, you start with the easy stuff, which is the physical tools, right? That's a, that's a good starting place. Can this person physically compete with NBA players, right? Size, length, athleticism, strength, wingspan, these, you know, these types of basics, which, um, you know, I, I tell our scouts, like, you should have that done in the layup line. Right. You got that part done. And then the game starts and you, you know, you've got skill, right? You, you dribble, pass, shoot. Uh, shooting form is obviously huge, you know, in, in uh, today's NBA and in every, in every era of NBA. Shooting's a huge skill. So we spend a lot of time analyzing that. And then, um, you know, you go to the next stuff, like feel for the game. Can you see the game, anticipate, see passes, see switches? react correctly in transition with you know loose ball rebounding all that stuff and then and then you go deeper to the character to the um competitiveness the off-court habits do they get their sleep at night do they uh treat their teammates well listen to their coaches you know go to class on time these types of things that um you know we just we just talk to people around them to find out and then how much weight do you put on all of that? Is it when it comes down to draft time and you guys are putting together your board, um, mm -hmm. how is that organized? And, and is it is yeah. it basically just you, Danny, and Mike in there <laughs> along with Wick? And, and I know Brad has input as well. No, I mean, D Dave Lewin's our director of scouting. He's a huge part of what we do. We have um, Remy Cofield, uh, Jake Eastman, our, our scouts with us. And then our BIA that I was teasing before, are a huge part of it. Um, they're in every meeting with us and they have models and things looking at players and their production. And, you know, they'll take, you know, the last 20 years of college data plus some other fancy stuff that we have um, and 
they will use that to try to project, you know, who the best players are, what types of players or statistical profiles um, end up doing well in the, in the NBA. Right. Um, and there's all sorts of things we do along those lines. And, and we try to just marry it all. And, and Abby, it's not, you know, we try to make it as scientific as possible, but in the end it's, it's art um, because it's, you know, how do you, three assistant coaches said the kid's a great kid and competitive. And one coach said, yeah, he's a little lazy and, you know, just missed three weight periods or, you, you know, you're, yeah, I'm, I'm sharing trivial details, but yeah. so, sometimes there are more substantial, you know, disagreements between people around them in their life and, and how we judge all of that is, is certainly not easy to do. Yeah. Is that one of the hardest things to judge is heart character? I mean, competitiveness. I, I would say um, competitiveness is pretty easy. I, I think um, off-court life and off-court habits are a little bit harder. It's just most of the time we're dealing with 19 and 20 year olds and they're not fully formed. They, they, they're they just figuring themselves out. And, um, you know, we, I remember joking with Doc Rivers, um, you know, his son, Austin, was obviously an elite player in high school and college and in the draft. And we're sitting there going, if there's anyone we know better than anyone, it's going to be Austin Rivers, right? Like we've, you know, Doc's known him his whole life, you know, and we know what type of person he is and projecting him is still really hard, right? Like, you know, so much about him and it's still really difficult. Um, so, you know, it's obviously that much harder with, with kids you barely know or have watched for just a couple of years. So it's it's not easy to, to know how 19-year-olds will handle millions of dollars and lots of fame and lots of pressure. Do you have a go-to question when you're interviewing guys? <laughs> not really. I, we've, we've gone through so many iterations of the draft interview in my time here, um, and we didn't find any special tricks or anything that... that we felt really worked. So we just try to get to know them and have a conversation just like you would with anyone at a business lunch that you're meeting for the first time. Uh, we let them ask us some questions and, you know, we, we probably have one or two or three things for each kid that we have, you know, want to target in that interview, right? So with, through our background information, we want to hear their version of things. Um, I remember Peyton Pritchard, um, we had heard from someone that he maybe not is not the most vocal leader for a point guard, right? And we asked him, you know, hey, we heard you're a little quieter, and and Peyton got mad. Who said that? That was not me. I'm I, you know, I'm a leader. I'll do, you know, and I loved that. I loved that about Peyton. It was it was uh, it was great. We loved that he got a little hot. And, and who's talking that. behind my back? <laughs> I like it. See a little yeah. fire in him. Yeah, we we loved that. Is that um, a Chipotle? Awesome. <laughs> DA takes him to Chipotle or Chick-fil-A, which is, you know, high class, high class oh, yeah. places. You I know, am we know how to recruit. Chick-fil-A. Our finance group will appreciate that. I know that for sure. Uh, but in talking about that entire scouting process, the one thing that always stands out to me is that like you guys basically are kind of doing investigative journalism on these guys. I mean, you I remember I, th I think it was Grant Williams told me that he found out that you talked to one of his like elementary or high school teachers or something. And he found out through the back channels, like they talked to, to her or him. And he was like, what? It's crazy how, how deep you guys dig, they, but what they is said the process he talked of... too much in class? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone said that, right? All of his teachers. You, you but, knew that going to yeah. deep practice probably. What is the process of even acquiring those people's contact information? Because it can't be easy to like drill down that deep. And then my follow-up on that is how do you then put that into your final report um, that, that you're going to log? Because I know those reports need to be brief. Yeah, I mean, most, most of the time we don't dig quite that deep. Um, it, we just haven't found it super useful, right? Like most of the time, if you're, if you're going back to middle school or something, it's like they've changed so much since then. You know, I mean, think of all of us. Think of all of us from 16 to 19, right? You, the 19-year-old information is a little more pertinent. Um, so we, we, we usually stick to the last couple of years before the draft. Um, uh, the rest we haven't found as useful. Um, but 
you know, Google's a powerful thing, Mark. Or the BIA. What do you, I mean, what are they doing? We're not hacking databases. We're just, you know, (laughs) it's not that hard to find out. Most of these kids have articles written about them. You know, they were all stars in their, in their towns and high schools. And, and it's not that hard, uh, you know, with the Celtics email address, people get back to you pretty quick. So. Austin, is there one guy who sticks out to you? Um, I was listening to Ryan McDonough speak with my colleague, Chris Forsberg, recently, and he tells a story about Rajan Rondo as a guy who he really fought for inside the war room. Is there someone, a player that sticks out for you that you were very high on that maybe you had to work hard to convince others and it worked out? Don't say it if that person didn't pan out. (laughs) (laughs) Only make yourself look good. No, I mean, look, I, I, that's, Jason that's, Tatum. The, that's, yeah, that's the scouting. Uh, that's the joke amongst all NBA front offices is that, you know, all the successes were my idea and all the, you know, all the failures were either the coach didn't use them right or were the owner, right? That's who you blame. Um, but no, I, I, I don't love to share those stories, to be honest, guys, just because it's, it's such a huge team effort. And I, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to escape it necessarily, but it really is messy. I mean, this is how it goes. I mean, imagine I I go see a kid um, in November, you know, first first game of the year, and I I went to see him. I happen to be there, and I come back and I text the group in our you know in our Slack or group text and say, hey, this kid's pretty good. We should watch him, right? And then a month later, he's got enough data where our BIA comes back and says, hey, he's showing up pretty good. This kid's pretty good, you know. And then another one of my scouts goes and says, yeah, he's good. And then I go and I go, he had a terrible game. And I go, oh, maybe he's not, maybe he's struggling, you know, and he has a couple bad games and we change our minds. And then we go back to him and we have probably 5,000 hours of discussions on these kids and everyone's changed their mind two or three times. And then at the end you come and I had him 10th and another guy had him fourth and another guy had him 14th. And it's like, how do you, how do you separate all of that? It's just, it really is a group effort and it's all very messy. Um, and, uh, and really it's, we got a lot of smart people and they all, they all help us to make the best decisions we can. And the the crazy part about that is that all of that kind of lands on Danny Ainge. Like he has to parse through, you guys have to parse through all of the information about the players. And then he has to parse through all of the information that you guys give him about those players. It's gotta be such a tough job. Uh, to be able to, like you said, if someone's fourth, tenth, or fourteenth on three different boards within the same group of you guys in the basketball group, he has to figure out where that person lands as a whole. Um, but interestingly, we just enough, basically talking, argue all year, Mark. That's pretty much what we do. We just argue. That's, that's <laughs> but it's fun. It's like it's basketball it arguments, right? You can't say yeah. no to that. This is what you grew up with, and, and continue no, to grow up. Staff. With. That's that's what everyone loves about our staff is that the the interns all the way up to DA, we all can voice our opinion strongly and it is fun and he listens that's that's what i have heard he he is more willing to listen to everyone else's opinions and not just stick to his own guns um than maybe uh the majority of the gms around the league but all right cool so we're talking about player evaluation and in our next segment we're going to talk specifically about aaron neesmith and Payne pritchard and how the celtics hit a couple home runs with these two picks in the 2020 draft we'll be right back We're all in the same boat when it comes to trying to come up with great gift ideas for birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, and every other occasion. We're all looking for something unique. And now, the Celtics have you covered. The team's official digital gift cards provide flexibility and allow you to treat your favorite C's fans to tickets without even having to worry about which games will fit their schedule. Just choose your gift card value, and your recipient can choose their preferred game and their preferred seat location. It's that simple. So head on over to Celtics.com slash gift cards and grab one today. And don't forget to tell your recipient to thank me for sending you over there. We've been talking about player evaluation, and now it's talk. It's time to talk about specific player evaluation with who the Celtics wound up with last season in the 2020 draft. So Aaron Neesmith comes in at number 14. Peyton Pritchard comes in at number 26. Austin, I just want you to take me inside the war room and kind of give us um, your remembrance and how you remember that entire night unfolding leading up to that 14th pick when you wound up putting in that selection. For Aaron Neesmith, what what was going on in those moments before? Oh man, um, I mean, we we do most of our draft 
deliberations, you know, earlier in the day, right? We, we kind of have our board set. Draft night is mostly about trade calls you're getting mm-hmm. constantly. And um, I mean, you, the phone's just ringing, you're getting texts and it's, it's madness. It's wild. Um, uh, but, but that's, I want to be in that room so badly. Yeah. I want to be in that room so badly. I know I wouldn't be able to write a thing about it or talk about it, but I just want to be in there. Some, some years it's 5 million decisions. Some years it's like five, mm-hmm. right? It, it just, it just depends on what's going on. Um, but this, this particular draft was very, very wild. Um, lots going on. Um, but you know, unfortunately, I can't share all all those trade offers coming in. But but uh, but no, we we had we had settled on Aaron um, as pretty high on our board um, coming in into that, um, which was hard. It was hard to come to that. Aaron was a little bit you know less known to us compared to Peyton, for instance. Um, Aaron had kind of a you know just an okay freshman year. We could see his length and athleticism and and. Uh, you know, he shot okay his freshman year, but nothing spectacular. And then his sophomore year, he comes out and has an amazing first 14 games, but against a pretty weak schedule. And then he gets hurt and is done for the year. And uh, and so that made it that made it hard. It was it, it was made it uh, real a easy less, on you guys. Yeah, it was a little less you know information than we have on a lot of guys. Um, so we, you know, we made a bunch of calls on him and and just got sparkling reviews for his character and work ethic and got nothing but great things about him which is huge for us right we we believe in that stuff that that kids that work hard and and have that dedication will continue to improve and uh and and then i you know i got a chance to fly down and see him work out at his uh high school gym in charleston um kind of late in the process um and then you know the other part with aaron was he had foot surgery after he got injured and that's uh you know you bring in your whole medical staff to review all the records and you get all the scans and um, we weren't able to evaluate him in person medically so you've got to rely on all other doctors and tests and so you know there's there's always you got a bit of a, a lump in your throat worried about that stuff because um, every doctor could have a different opinion as we all know as we've all gone through oh for sure and and you know it's it's you do the best you can but the, the medical stuff is an educated guess, just like the talent evaluation. Um, I'll, I'll never forget um, our our doctor, Tony Shenna. After uh, the draft, we flew Aaron in the next day, and Tony got a chance to sit down and evaluate him, get hands on him, and review things once again. And he came up to me and goes, <laughs> you, he, he looks good. He looks good. He goes, I feel, I feel even better now. But he was, he was feeling the heat on that one himself, right? Because oh. he, he gave us the green light, um, uh, to go for it, which we were excited about. It. But and sounds like there was a little yellow in that green light, though. He wasn't quite sure, a hundred percent, until he saw him in yeah. person. Yeah, I know. He, he felt much better after in person than he did before. And so anyway, it was, it was kind of a funny moment. Yeah. Austin, is that because of the pandemic that he couldn't go see him or typically like, will Tony see everyone who you have high on your list? Yeah. So most of the time, um, the team doctors all go to the NBA combine gotcha. and there's this giant room where the doctors rotate around and can evaluate these players and all take notes together. And it's this big kind of crazy. There's two days of medical stuff. Right. And they'll, you know, Hey, we could, you know, we need some scans on this. I'm worried about this. We want an MRI on this and, you know, they'll order those things. And and so you can get a lot done in the combine in a normal year. And then, um, and then we will fly guys in for draft workouts and the doctor will be able to do, you know, some movement tests, you know, talk to the player about, what they're experiencing with their medical history and, and also look at images. Um, and then uh, there, there are some times where, you know, agents and players will go, sorry, you have the 10th pick. He's going in the top three. We don't want you to have his medical information or you have a starting point guard and we don't want this point guard to be drafted by you guys. So we're not sharing the medical information. And so there's uh, there's, there's some, you know, negotiating sometimes with that. Which, by the way, some of some of these angles that have been taken on things like that, oh, we don't want him to be drafted by your team. Look at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, right? 
originally people thought, oh, these players shouldn't want to go into a team that's competing and that's kind of stacked with talent that can go to the conference finals. Well, look what it did for those two guys, right? They, they have been established in the league. It feels like they've been in the league for 10 years already playing at a high level because they came into a competitive team. But I digress. Um, let's talk about Aaron Neesmith a little bit more. And I do want to point out 14th pick. A couple years in a row, I thought those 14th overall picks were going to wind up in the top five. So no help from Sacramento and Memphis trying to get those high lottery picks. But uh, we, we wind up in number 14. And I know you said that you, as a group, were high on Aaron Neesmith. But you see Halliburton go at number 12. You see Kyra Lewis go at number 13. Like, what's the process of you guys kind of reading the tea leaves as that stuff goes? And you're like, God, I, I hope he doesn't go 13. I hope, you know, what is it like in, in the war room as that pick is coming up? Yeah, I mean, all of us every year have kind of different tiers of guys, right? You've got, all right, these first five I would love to have. And then the next four, six to 10, I can't really distinguish between I'd be happy with any of them. And then there's a big drop off, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or, or maybe the drop off for you happens between after 16 players and you have the 25th pick and you hope one of those 16 just slides to you. Right. And, um, you know, you're, you're always playing those games, trying to guess. And, and, uh, you know, we call around the league and talk to agents, try to see where guys are going to go beforehand, but you never really know. Um, there's always surprises, especially, you know, after the first couple picks, there's always, it's always a, a surprise. Um, and so you, you just, you just try to stay ready um, and listen, listen to the trade calls as they come and, and uh, try to make a decision on the spot or draft the guy you want. And um, no, we were, we were thrilled to get Aaron um, his age and length and athleticism and character combination um, we think are, are special. And I talked to Brad yesterday about Aaron Neesmith, and he, he, he said one of the spots is his, uh, basically in this playoff rotation. He's like, it is his. He has taken it. Um, some of the other positions are still open for debate um, going, into, going into the playoffs. But how enjoyable has it been for you to see where he has come to at this point in his rookie season as compared to where he was at first? Brad was also saying that during training camp, it was like, Aaron Neesmith was playing just as hard, but he was so much slower and didn't understand the game at that point that he was worried he was going to cause injuries for the other players on the team. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you guys can imagine um, you expect your rookies, especially a guy like Aaron, like I said, who who had foot surgery after 14 games only. and, and Hadn't played get, in 11 months. Yeah, didn't get to do summer league, very abbreviated training camp and, and preseason stuff, right? Normally they those guys get so much more time and he was already a, a little more on the raw side. Right. So, you know, all that logic and we have these meetings and we talk like, Hey, we got to be patient with these rookies. Cause it was a tough year. And then training camp starts and Aaron's just running around and was not good. <laughs> he was not good. And, uh, and you're just going, even though you logically know it's, it's hard not to go, what did we do? You know, <laughs> what did we, you, you don't really, you don't. Aaron, you don't plug your ears that. right now. Plug yeah, your ears. You don't vocalize that, and of course, you don't act uh, rashly. But, but you know, you can't help but the, have those feelings and emotions pop up a little bit. Like, yeah, man, it's only it's natural. Just, it's it's way more fun when they you know dominate summer league and look great <laughs> in, in training camp, right? Um, but to Aaron's credit, the kid just works and works and works. I mean, every day, and he kept his confidence, even though he wasn't making shots and was playing too fast and was getting lost a little bit out there. Game was just moving too fast for him. And, uh, and he, he, you know, keeping your confidence is hard. It, it's hard. It's, it's you, you, you're the 14th pick. You have been great at every level and you expect success and it doesn't happen right away. And it's, you can get down on yourself and he just kept working and staying positive. And it's just been, it's been so fun to watch him have some success uh, the last couple of weeks. He's just been playing awesome. Tommy Heinsohn used to say that all the time. The, the first step and the hardest step is to believe that you belong. And then once you have that, you can build off of it. But when it comes to Neesmith specifically, and especially, I mean, in his rookie season, he played, I think, you know, for 10 games and then sat for, had a bunch of DNPs after that. And then now obviously has really kind of um, come on and, and like you guys are talking about, figured out the speed of the mm -hmm. game. Um, what conversations do you guys have? And I know Danny is 
always very hands-off, but with Brad and, and talking about development and um, not necessarily how to use guys, but hey, you want to get Aaron a few more minutes in there? I think you could really use that experience. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about these things all the time, right? Um, it, it, and, you know, there's times in the season where, um, you know, there's there's not clear-cut answers. Guys have not jumped up and just earned minutes, right? There's always five or six guys that are playing great. And then, you know, the next three or four in your rotation, you know, some years it's like, Hey, these guys have earned it and it's set and it's easy. And other years it's, it's tough. It's tough. You've got, Brad calls it separation. Or, yeah. Or lack you don't thereof. have a lot yeah. of separation all the time. And and this year you don't have um, uh G league to, to send young guys to go get a couple games so they could stay fresh. Right. Um, so it was, it was hard. And, and uh, we, we had those discussions all the time, but we're also trying to win. And, um, and so you can't just give charity minutes when you're, when you're trying to win and, and we've had an up and down season and every game matters. And it's hard to just give rookies minutes if they haven't earned them. And Aaron, like we talked about, he earned, uh, chances with his work ethic and his energy, but he wasn't, you know, making enough shots and he was making too many mistakes early on. And that's just part of it. And you watch film and you do more work and you, you know, and then you wait a little while and give him another chance and uh, until he's ready and, and he's proven he's ready now. And, and uh, we're, we're thrilled. And the crazy part of it is that at the exact opposite end of the spectrum, you've got Peyton Pritchard who you wind up with at number 26. This guy, he, he doesn't play since uh, what was it? March, I think was the last time he had played in a game. He gets drafted a week to two weeks later. He's in training camp. He's playing in NBA games by December 23rd, and the kid just walks right in and plays at a high level. How how has he done this? Yeah, Pey Peyton is uh, first of all he's a, he's an incredible worker also, um, but he just is such an experienced player. I mean, four state championships in high school, you know, high level AAU program, and then four year starter in college, Pac-12 Player of the Year. Right, the guy has been through a lot of minutes with the ball in his hands. He knows what to do. And, um, and yeah, he walked in with NBA range. Um, uh, I, I have to, I think it was his agent. Yeah. His agent told me on draft night, he's already packed. Like he's right. I, I said, Hey, we need, you know, we need to fly him in early cause we got a COVID test before we get on the, Oh no, he's packed. He's been packed for a week. Like the guy's ready. You know, he's, he's been in the jet now. Up. We're ready yeah. to go. <laughs> been making ball handling videos in his garage and all sorts of stuff. The, the kid, the kid was ready to go. And, and um, Peyton's the type that he wears our poor coaches out rebounding for him. He wants to shoot before and after in early mornings and late at nights there. They need to get home to their families and Peyton still wants to shoot. So it's, it's great. We love that. But again, going into that war room, like guards were chosen in the two positions before him at 24 and 25 you very likely could have not wound up with this kid who really looks like a keeper long-term and looks like he was a professional from the moment he walked in the door. So again, I'm going to ask you, take us inside those moments <laughs> leading up to that pick. Like how did you wind up with this guy at 26 who can just walk into an NBA game with barely any preparation and look like he belongs? Peyton was a guy that um, we had circled that we thought was going to be there. The mock drafts had him later. Um, we actually, you know, heard from a couple other teams later on after the draft, they said, oh, we were taking him, you know, the next couple picks or whatever. And, and so we were, you know, we, we thought we were higher on him than other teams, but I, I'm not sure that that was true, um, in, in the end, but we, we had him circled. And, um, I, I remember last year, DA went out to the PAC 12 tournament and came back just raving about the, about Peyton and, and, um, and was really high on him. It's just his toughness and, and, uh, and all that he brings to the game. And, and so he's been a guy we've followed, um, for a long time and, uh, and we're fans of, but no, we were thrilled that he fell to us and, and, uh, we, we had a feeling he'd be, you know, pretty ready from day one. He, he was a polished guy. Yeah, I picture DA with a fist bump after RJ <laughs> the pick before. They throw in Oregon on there and he's just, he's extra excited. We, we pretty much know that he's going to skew toward guys who played in Oregon, um, not just college, <laughs> but high school. And so we, we, we try to temper those things, but with Peyton, it's, uh, it, it's great. It's warranted. That's right. How do you balance 
Austin. Um, and, and you talked about it. Peyton has played so much basketball and had the ball in his hands for so long, but um, it, it's a constant debate. It feels like between guys with experience and who came played four years of college versus a Jason Tatum who played, you know, 11 games or I mean, Kyrie Irving played 11 games, but Jason was just the one season. How do you balance that? And, and in your evaluation? I mean, it, it's, you know, it's educated guesses. We try to get as much information as we possibly can and, uh, and, and make the best decision. With guys who played very little college, you just have to go back to more high school film, you know, and go back to m- most of these guys you see play in high school's all-star stuff. Uh, Peyton Pritchard played two times in the Nike Hoop Summit, for instance, right? Jason Tatum played in all of those, the whole all-star circuit, Team USA, all those things, right? So we we watch all of those things because um, we're scared of that top kid who comes in and gets hurt. Or, um, you know, if you remember Darius Baisley didn't, chose not to go to college. Or Dante Exum from Australia just played a couple games. Uh, there's been all sorts of these. Emmanuel Moutier went to China and then played some games and got hurt and didn't play. You know, you just have to try to, get the information early in case one of these things happens. And so you wind up with Peyton Pritchard. He walks in and, and plays at a high level from the very start. And at this point, you know, we're, I'm, I'm going to date us here. If someone's listening to this months and months down the line, but Peyton Pritchard has a chance to set the all time three pointers made for a rookie season in Celtics history. The person who holds that, that record is Jason Tatum, but Tatum played double the minutes during that season. So I'm just going to say, I think, I think as a rookie, Peyton Pritchard is the three point King in Celtics history. Um, but and you spoke about his work ethic. I know that has a lot to do with the success that he's seeing on the court right now. And the same thing for Aaron Neesmith, take us into the Auerbeck center and what you see out of these guys as young rookies who are, are looking to make their name in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, they, they put in tons and tons of time. They do. They really do. And, um, Neither Aaron nor Peyton have played, you know, big, big minutes. Uh, You know, they're not in the 30 minutes a game every night mode right now. And so we allow them to get a little extra work. You know, the guys who play a lot need to rest more. And uh, and so they just they're here first and you see them with their individual coaches just shooting thousands of shots and going over defensive coverages and reads and individual film work it's it's uh it's awesome but yeah i mean peyton from i mean day one or day two of training camp you know brad i remember we share our office here next next to each other don't say anything he doesn't want you want us to hear (laughs) no he just i remember he just opened my door and said peyton might be ready to go you know uh, from from the get-go and and uh and he sure looked like it from from first day of camp how the much way that he action do you take in that moment <laughs> being having made those decisions and then um seeing you know when they do get into your facility and seeing what you thought you saw out there on the floor yeah i mean it, it's great uh, you 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 hope that's the case uh, like i said you try to stay patient most of the time you don't really want to evaluate rookies too much until a couple years in because it it everyone develops on a different path um but yeah, I mean, to, to the opposite, Abby, when, you know, you spend hours of your life, months total away from your family, watching these pe- players dedicate your life to making the right pick and it doesn't work out, it's painful. <laughs> it's really painful. You know, these these, these people on the, uh, on the Internet or the media, you know, they go, oh, they messed up. And yeah, like, trust me, we know <laughs> when we mess up, we feel it. And it, it's it's not fun. Um, so you, you work really hard to try to get the right players and the right people in. And uh, we're, we're thrilled with Peyton and Aaron. Yeah. And you just to throw this out there and I will die on this hill. And, and I've done it on Twitter recently. You guys are far more successful then you are unsuccessful in your draft picks. And it's a testament to all the work that you guys put in. And anyone who's given you guys flack for, for having a couple of swings and misses, I don't think they look at the other 29 teams in the league that do the exact same thing. Not everyone bats a thousand percent. Not everyone gets every single pick right, but you guys have gotten the important ones right. And you've gotten a lot of the other ones right too. So it's a testament to your group and, and how you guys work together. Well, thank you. It's, it's one of those things where, um, it's kind of like batting percentages, right? If you're, 
if you're if you bat 250, you're out of the league. You bat 350, you're the best in the world, right? And that's 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 kind of the margin we're dealing with 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 draft picks. Um, you know, we we just tried to get a million draft picks, Mark, so we we don't have to hit so on so many of them. And dialing back just to put a put a bow on this conversation, eighty <clears> percent <throat> of the Celtics' healthy starting lineup this year homegrown. Rob Williams, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Then you go into the bench. You've got two really promising young guys that you drafted this year and Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard. Uh, it's been really impressive to see the guys that you you and the team have brought in over the last five, six, seven years. Um, and, and we're looking forward to seeing who you guys get in the future and making this team, uh, putting this team together to make a run to another championship. So you can relive those 2008 moments again in the future. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. All right. Thanks, Austin. Appreciate it. Everyone, make sure you uh, like, subscribe, download, stream, and make sure you come back next week for our next episode. Thanks, everyone. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.